And I recently heard this amazing interview question. What is so like, let's say everything lines up with this individual and you're bringing them on and mm -hmm. say, if, if, if there were something to pull you away from this position, what would that be? Cause you'll know their core values from that. Making the leap from employment to entrepreneurship can be a scary time. The biggest fear people have is the unknown. Here on the You Can't Afford Me podcast, we speak with hustlers and innovators on how to make the most of your journey. If you have questions, we have answers. Now let's dive into it. Thanks for tuning in to the You Can't Afford Me podcast, the show where we speak to innovators and hustlers about how to make it on your own. We get deep in the side of entrepreneurship and not giving you that fluff you may expect from other places. Also, be sure to follow our team, Enzo Media Firm, on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Enzo Media Firm, and that's spelled E-N-S-O. So for our first podcast guest on the You Can't Afford Me podcast, we have Alicia Soyaka. She is a broker, a team leader. Um, she's with the uh, Collaborative um, as a real estate concierge. Her team at the Collaborative works together for your ideal tomorrow. They aim to create an amazing creative experience that lets you live your life and get the best possible house or price in Richmond, one of the top 50 cities in the U.S. I love Richmond. Richmond is definitely one of the top places. Uh, so with that, let's welcome Alicia. I spelled, How did I say your name wrong? Say my last name. Soikawa. Yes. What did you I say? Soyaka. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I've, I've been editing video for Alicia for years, and I still I have to pull up me. your Facebook profile yeah. to make to sure make I spell sure your right. name correctly. That's okay. It's actually time. really funny because I actually, we did a video on like, how do you say your name? Yep. No, I, remember, I shot that video, yes. and I still can't get it right. And I didn't say Michael's last name like for like over a month when we started dating. <laughs> so, well, Welcome to the really podcast. Funny. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Awesome. I awesome. feel very honored to be the first person you're speaking to. So. Yeah. So you came to mind because we both started our entrepreneurial journeys about the same time. Um, I believe it was around 2014. Um, we both really got kicked off and, and entered that next phase. And that's when you and I sat down. Um, you were We had a photo. We had a booth at a expo for realtors. And you were one of the only realtors that I like actually connected with. And I kind of felt like you were blowing me off. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. I'll talk to this kid at some point, blah, blah, blah. We eventually got the meeting and, you know, seven years later, we're still working together. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. Question one I have for you. Why did you jump into real estate? I know your previous career was something with medical sales. What was it about real estate that made you say, this is the career I need to be in? Well, as with many people, sometimes you just do things to see if it sticks. To mm. be honest with you, I never had a desire to per se pursue real estate. I didn't have a dying dream to do that. I just knew I didn't want to be in the corporate world anymore. Yep. And I had an opportunity to take a package or actually I sought it out because they were doing some layoffs and I was not one of them. Unfortunately, I was actually disappointed that I didn't get laid off. And so I, I went here often. No. And I really got excited. And actually, we I just spoke to someone else about this recently. I was interviewed and they do this thing. They, they basically pay in corporate world. They'll pay people that are at the cusp of retirement, kind of mm -hmm. like pay them off yep. to retire early, basically, and take your retirement benefits early. And I had already been with the company for quite some time. And so I thought, oh, maybe I qualify. Maybe they'll let me go. Well, I wasn't one of the people and I actually was like the only person at this big meeting that was sad about it. And so I kind of felt in that moment that, OK, this is a sign like I this is obviously me wanting to make a move. I was say you already knew at that point that you wanted to get out. Yeah. You just weren't willing to make the move yourself yet. Yes. And I had a really good friend of mine who left the, the industry. We trained together, went through like boot camp of like 
medical sales boot camp and we got into Amgen together. Mm-hmm. And he left earlier on and we stayed in touch. And he kept saying to me, when are you leaving? When are you leaving? And I said, you know what, Anthony, I just, I don't know. We'll see. Because I, I was definitely addicted to the benefits of being an employee yeah. in the corporate world. So I had a company car. I had a company expense account. I had everything paid for. I had cell phone, computers, uh, gas. You know, I had eight week, eight nine weeks of vacation paid. I had you know full benefits, all the packages, stock. You know, pretty much the bells Quote and the unquote, whistles. Guaranteed income. Yeah, and I think it was just the also the prestige. So there's a prestige that comes with when you work for a big company that mm-hmm. no one wants to admit that you kind of are. You know, it's the whole like. Um, competition thing that you have yeah. with your neighbor like you know who's like you Keeping know up I, with the joneses yeah that's the phrase like basically you know when you go to college you have this feeling of like if you don't get a good job and you're not paying benefits then you are less than the person yep. that doesn't right because i come from an immigrant family where they didn't they didn't have those opportunities so they looked at co- corporations and things like that as Absolutely. wow that's the best thing you could do yep and there's an illusion to that I think people don't understand. And I think that I kind of sold my soul a little bit because I had to compromise who I was to fit in the mold that they wanted me to be in. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, doing that year after year after year, I was like, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. And I didn't even realize it was happening because there's just like a soldnessness that when you work for a multi-billion dollar company. You're just a number. It's even worse than that. I would say you are a number and you are a number that cannot make noise. Mm-hmm. And Stay in line and be quiet. Yes. Behave. So it is literally like be a good soldier. Don't speak unless you're spoken to. And if you kiss enough butts and you do the right things, then maybe you'll get the, you know, yeah. the next job up. So how did you even get exposed to real estate? Well, that's even weirder. So my dad was a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Korean. And... He was a real estate agent when I was in high school. So he actually took the test and he failed it, I think, like six or seven times. How hard, how hard is the real estate test? Because I feel at some point I'm probably going to end up taking it just because I want to be an investor. And I'm like, how hard do you really so have to study for that? So I don't think it's hard. I think it's it's a insert all the information in your brain and spit it back out. But the questions are worded and, and phrased in a multiple choice. They're all multiple choice to wear you out, and also to trip you up on purpose. How long does it normally take somebody to take the test? So they only give you a certain amount of time to those national and state, and you have to fulfill the requirements of taking the class. The class has nothing – I mean, there's some stuff on the test of the class, but there really isn't the same question. So you have Mm -hmm. to pass the class, pass the class test, and then take the – that not whatever the PSI test for the government. And then so it really does it. take a year to even get licenses. No, relative. no, you can do it. Now they have online classes. You could probably, if you pounded it out and you could do all the hours, you could probably do the class in like a week or two weeks. Oh, wow. But then you have to pass the test. Yeah. And it's the most boring information. It is a test on taking information that you pretty much won't need, except for the fair housing and things like that. And there's, you know, post-education, continue education that we are required to keep so that you kind of keep abreast of all that information. You just but, you just literally talked me out of it. I never want to take another test again in my life. That's one reason I became so an entrepreneur. I, I don't will need tell you certifications. This. I don't need all this stuff. I don't no. want to take any more tests. I'm a horrible test taker. Well, then if you are, then there's actually an agent that I met. She failed it 12 times. So you have to pay like $125. So yeah. she paid over almost $2,000 just to take the test and pass the test. And I'm yeah. like, mm, I passed it the first time around. I was like, I'm not doing this again. Yeah. 
But it was a lot of hours, a lot of flashcards, a lot of time to pass the test. But my dad couldn't because, remember, English was not his first language. Yeah. So he was not educated in this country, and English wasn't his first language. So he really struggled, but he figured it out and passed it. So I wrote his first contract for him. So he comes in the room. He wrote a – he found a house for a Korean client. So all his clients were Korean-speaking in, in, of our culture, which mm-hmm. is typical of the Korean culture. They kind of are very close-knit. Yep. And he was like, Alicia, Alicia, come in here. I need you to help me. And I'm in ninth grade. And on the word, brother word processor, I had to type out his contract for him. So that was my first foray into real estate. And I had no idea. And I kind of didn't realize that that was going to be something a part of my life later on. And it was one of those things where I always kind of was curious, just like you say that you may want to do investing and yep. and all that. A lot of people are curious. They think it's fun. And they think you're just going to look at houses and it's so fun and no, so that's flexible. Hard work. But unfortunately, there's a you have the TV shows that give oh, yeah. the appearance that it's so easy and you make all this money, and they don't see all the work and effort and time and money investment. Everybody you put thinks into realtors it. walk around eating caviar, drinking champagne, and walk around million yeah. dollar homes all day long. Which, by yeah. the way, this is the first time I've ever seen you in a T-shirt in like seven years. I've never seen you wear a T-shirt before. Well, I wore it because it has a, a lion. Well, not a lion. Is it, is it a tiger? tiger. No, it's a tiger. <laughs> so my I had a coaching call this morning. I coached. Um, and I just got certified to be a specialty coach for time management. Mm-hmm. And I had I was doing a guest speaking presentation for another brokerage in in uh, Massachusetts, and so I yep. thought it'd be funny to wear the tiger because our coach is she's like the tigers go get them tigers. <laughs> so let so. me let me jump into the next thing because this is this is a big point for me. A lot of people talk about when you become an entrepreneur finding work life balance. I think we, you and I both know there's absolutely no such thing. There are going to be times in your business that require way more time. Like I try to have a strict schedule. Like I generally leave the house at the same time in the morning. I get about an hour with the kids and then I get home at a certain time. So I at least have two hours with the kids on the back end and then some time with, with me and my wife. But there are going to be times where, you know, I call my wife and like, hey, I'm gonna have to work till eight o'clock tonight. Or, hey, I know we we're planning on doing something with the kids this weekend. I got to go do this video shoot. Um, to you, how do you manage that time between work and your family? I think it's very actually fitting because we just had this talk. I think it's about blocking the things that are important to you first. And it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Yeah, because you're real big on your calendar. Yes. Very huge on my calendar and calendar blocking. And I think I'm very protective about certain things. Like mm-hmm. there's a non-negotiable for, with certain things. So I think at the beginning of the year or can I do it quarterly? Like what are the things that are 100% my priority? And I'm sorry, not it's a non-negotiable. You could yep. give me a $10 million listing. I'm not going to cancel this because I've already made this a priority. Yep. Um, and if that person really wants to work with me, they'll respect that and yep. the boundary that I've set. So I think that's the biggest number one is to make sure that you have your priorities straight on what's important and what's not. Mm-hmm. So example – just the fact that you said that you make sure that you get that hour before you come in daily so your children see that you're present regardless, yep. right? So you're not going to book something in that hour. Mm-hmm. So you will always at least have that hour. Yep. We all have things that pop up and things that arise. I'm not the parent that's dropping my kids off. I'm not the parent that's picking my kids up. I'm not the parent that's taking them to all their activities and doing all the little annoying things, I call it. But I'm there. Like I'm there when there's something significant going on. I'm so let's there. pause there for a second, because traditionally, mm-hmm. not being sexist, but traditionally, yeah. the female in the relationship, mom, is going to be the one doing the majority of that stuff. Have Have you gotten any flack for that? Like you, with what we do, they're always going to be haters. Have you gotten a lot of kickback from people like, oh, what? 
So we got there. Her mom's never here picking her up and doing X, Y, and Z. Like, have you heard little chatter? I think it's more people projecting their insecurities onto me than mm. me feeling that way. I think more than anything, because I've even had conversations with my ch- kids. I have a 16 year old now, a 14, almost 14 year old and an almost five year old. And the two older ones actually had conversation. And, and I said, you know, guys, because I just opened the brokerage, you know, mm-hmm. formally, I came from being in a team. And I said, do you guys wish that I didn't run a real estate business? Do you wish I was a stay at home mom? And it was really interesting to get their feedback. And they both both immediately said, no, mom, like we like that you do this. We like that you yeah. do what you love to do. You you are happy doing it. You're good at doing it. And it would be weird if you didn't run mm-hmm. a business. So I kind of look at it as like I want my that's children. That's their normal. That's their normal. And they don't feel like they're missing out on anything. Mm-hmm. They don't feel that they don't. I, I just I have so many stay-at-home mom friends that are not present. Yeah. So the one mantra I always say is be present where your feet are. So like when I'm here talking to you, I'm fully engaged with you and, you know, creating content or whatever. Yep. I'm not sitting in the back of my head going, oh, I wish I was at home with the kids. I miss the kids. I should be with the kids. Or, you know, when I'm with the kids, I'm not saying, oh, I need to be calling clients and doing this. So I really have worked really hard on being truly engaged and present in the moment Mm -hmm. and feeling that moment. So I think you can tell when someone's engaged with you and when someone's not. Yep. So on that on that note, too. Let's switch to the marriage piece because different dynamics in relationships, like my wife's definitely the emotional one in, in the relationship. You and I are more likely built like at the same cloth for like, oh, my wife didn't listen to this one. But like sometimes she'll text me and be like, do you miss me? And it's like 1030 in the morning. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, no, I haven't even had time to miss you. I've been like bombarded with work since I got here. Mm-hmm. But of course, I have to say the right thing. Like, of course, I miss you. Like, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you and Michael been married? Well, this year we'll have been married 22 years, but we've been together 26 years. We just celebrated 26 years together. So how do you find the balance with that? Like, obviously, I feel it's probably easier to set aside that time with the kids and a little bit harder sometimes with our spouses because it's like, Oh, you're a grown adult. You know, I'm taking care of business. This is what we need to take care of our family. How do you guys manage that time? Because I see on your Instagram and Facebook, like you guys have date nights Mm -hmm. and and things like that. I think it comes around to intention. Mm -hmm. And I will say we had a lot of seasons where we probably at the been at the brink of divorce Mm -hmm. and brink of separation for different reasons, being pulled into directions, not just with the business or with children, but external forces, family finances, everything you can imagine we've been through. And honestly, I think we made a decision in one of the times where we almost split up where we said, are we in this or are we not? Mm -hmm. And if we're in this, then we need to be in this for real and make it a priority. And I even made a comment to him and we've seen a lot of our friends because we we've been together a really long time and we have children all different ages. And but we also have friends with children that have left the home already. Like yeah. they're already grown and gone. And I've seen friends go through divorces that were shocking. Like I couldn't believe that they got divorced. Mm-hmm. Like you thought, what? How could they be the ones getting divorced? And I've also seen people drift apart um, because everything was about the children. Yeah. It can't be that. And it can't. And I think some people get together because they have a kid and think that's going to make their relationship better. Yeah. It only amplifies and, the problems. And those you have. typically definitely end. Yeah. Um, but I said to him, 
I don't want our children to leave and us to look at each other and be like, all right, see you later. (laughs) Or also basically commit to a life of being unhappy. Mm -hmm. So we just made it a point to be interested in each other and also to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, I'm at a point where I'm I'm lonely right now. I just need to have a conversation with you or I need yep. to talk to you or I feel like I really feel like we need we're disconnected and we need to be connected. Let's let's go on a date night. Mm-hmm. And in the past, as a woman, I used to not want to ask. So the fact that your wife calls and asks you is pretty amazing, I think, because a lot of women won't. Yeah. A lot of women will not express what they need. And so how can someone know what they need? What you they can't read your mind. For sure. So the fact that you have open communication to have that I think is a leading indicator to show that you have a really healthy relationship and not like, you know, people just dismiss things or like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like I don't need it or they'll make a joke. And I will say that I we are very frank with each other and we're brutally honest with each other, almost to the point where it's like some other people would see it as being mean or hurtful. Mm -hmm. But I look at it as being like, I need someone that can tell me the straight, bold truth. If I'm being a total ass, I'm the same way. Like, I don't like, I don't like us walking out of the room and we're still upset with each other. Like, no, don't get heat. Like, we're grown, mm-hmm. we're grown ass adults. Like, come sit here. Let's talk about this. Like, yes. because for me, like I fester, like I just have that person. Like I'm mm-hmm. a Gemini. We don't forget nothing. And I don't believe in astrology, but like, that's one thing. Like I can tell Gemini's are all the same when it comes to that. Like, cause we'll, we can get into an argument and then like an hour later, Holly's ready to be kissing up on me and stuff. I'm like, no, get the hell off of me. Like I'm so pissed about what happened an hour ago. Like I have to get it all out yeah. right then and there, or like it's a problem at least for the next 24 hours. Well, that's interesting. And I think, we because we've known each other like no one knows me better than Michael and I yeah. know him better than anybody so I also know you just need to not say nothing yeah sometimes you just need to be and we can also have a furious fight with each other and disagree mm-hmm. and then two seconds later move on yeah. whereas in the past when we were younger we would hold on to that anger mm-hmm. and carry it in just to be an asshole to each other just to yep. dig at each other be to be mean mm-hmm. now we can have a d- disagreement about something and we disagree okay fine and then move on to the next thing and be f- totally fine yeah so with that like talking about like the balance of life and everything um for people like us you have to have a team in place to be able to find any level of balance in your life. Like you're yes. not going to be able to spend the time with your husband or your kids that you need to if you have to do everything. So in your process of putting together a team, and that's real interesting with our journey, like both of us starting at the same times, our teams are about the same size. Like we've both seen each other's business grow over the years. Um, what's your process with putting together a team? Because you can't just hire any and everybody. Like, I know the people immediately there are red flags that go off when I interview somebody because I know specifically what I need from each type of person because we have several different personalities here, but I know what will work and what won't. So what's your process when you're looking to add people to your team? I think it's just understanding. I look for four things when I look for agents Mm -hmm. and number one, they have to be coachable because I value coaching to the most highest learning, growing, coaching, So if you don't learn yourself or you don't value that learning, then you're just you don't have a core value with me, period. Mm -hmm. Um, Competence. Obviously, you don't want a dummy or someone that's like completely a moron. Like you cannot have that. It's it's some people you're like, I can't. I can't. I've had a couple of those. (laughs) And you don't even realize it. But if you ask basic questions and they look confused, then that's not for you because you're not there to teach basics of ABC. They need to be able to come to the table with something. I had an employee here one time that literally didn't understand the fact like I asked him to take out the garbage. And then you take out the garbage and I go back into the kitchen an hour later and there was no bag in the garbage can. And I'm like, dude, what 
What in your crazy. head made you think, oh, well, you didn't tell me I need to put a bag back in the garbage can. I didn't think I would have to. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. Yeah. Okay. That's, <laughs> so competency. That's a very good yeah. <laughs> example of competence. Yeah. Um, commitment. Mm-hmm. Like we recently, you know, had to part ways because someone wasn't committed to being 100%. And you yeah. can't. Can't you can't be halfway in. You can't yeah. have a side hustle. You can't either you're in or you're not, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm a very committed person. I'm a very loyal person. Commitment is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so character is probably the last one. So if someone lies to you or someone's not trustworthy or someone has an integrity issue or doesn't show themselves well, but they're willing to do something that's questionable to you, then how yeah. do you know they're not going to do that to you in your business and represent you in a poor way or to their peers? Exactly. So that's a huge, huge red flag to me. So those are the four things we kind of ask to ourselves, is this a fit? And I recently heard this amazing interview question and it's a really good idea. So right. it's basically saying what is so like, let's say everything lines up with this individual and you're bringing them on and mm-hmm. say, if, if, if there were something to pull you away from this position, what would that be? Because you'll know their core values from that. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn. Social media can be a full-time job. With algorithms, content creation, the list goes on. Don't leave your social media brand to just anyone. Our team here at Enzo Media Firm has been helping brands achieve new heights for 10 years. Contact our team today and learn how you can maximize your reach for as little as $500 a month. Just go to EnzoMediaFirm.com. That's Enzo, E-N-S-O, MediaFirm.com. So like like mm -hmm. another company offers me $20,000 more, then I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Or if... Oh, well, if my, you know, I'm just doing this before I get into grad school or I'm going to do this is not, you know, you can kind of find out or if they're like, no, I I don't, there's nothing I want to grow. I want to be in this business. Like, so that's a, that's a big red flag. Which also at that point, like I don't limit, like if somebody comes in here and they say, you know, Hey, I only want to be here for a year. I'm here to get experience from you guys. That's great. I plan on moving to California Mm -hmm. and I want to take this thing to the next level. Cool. As long as we know that straight up, like that's not going to limit you from getting a job with me. It's just the fact that I need to know as a leader how to guide you, how to direct you, and how much time I'm going to invest with you because I know you're not going to be here for the long haul. And I think that's a fair – if someone's honest with you and says that straight up, I would 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 be like, all right, come on. This is perfect. Right? It's a perfect fit. Showing they have character. Yeah, and then that's the biggest thing. I think also failing forward, I've failed so many times. I've had a lot of people come and go from the company, and I've been – you know, they always say they're saying that the fish rots from the head. So mm-hmm. I take full responsibility yeah. for the people that were wrong fits. I also sometimes I'm working on this, do not like to deal with conflict. It mm-hmm. it just gives me a stomach ache and I just don't We've like had to chats have, about yes. That. I don't like to have hard conversations sometimes. And in in having to have a hard conversation because of the headache yeah. of all the repercussions later. So sometimes I push things off and maybe when the people left, I was like, hmm, I probably should let them go a lot sooner, but I didn't. Yeah. And it causes more headache for you later on by not having those conversations. Because we know when when you're heading up an organization, you have a bird's eye view of what's going on. You know when somebody's not a right fit. But then the emotional part of it comes into play where like, uh, like, are they going to be okay? Are they financially stable? Like if I let them go, are they going to lose their house? That's not your responsibility. No. If that person's not doing the job that they were brought here to do and you've given them multiple chances to correct that, it's then off of you at that point and it's completely on them. Well, the irony of it all is that I realized a big thing that I've worked on in myself is that I have this need to fix people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is. It's like a core like, oh, I can fix them or mm-hmm. I can make it better. And 
it's not that's not yeah. what I need to be doing. I need to run a company, and if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. You can't you can't put a square in a you know oh yeah circle. And I think that's something that I'm guilty of, and I've worked on, and I'm at least I have like awareness, and I can see where I need to work on. So that's been a big thing for me is being more honest with myself and looking yeah. at the mirror and what are the things that I need to change about myself that are going to bring the right people that come to our company. So it's about attraction, I think, too. Yeah. And that also depends on the phase that you're in at your business. Correct. So like the stage that you're in now, you need hardcore hustlers like to get this thing to the next level. When you're at like 25, 30 people on your team, there's a little bit of more room to invest in somebody who may be a little bit more rough around the edges, but you see something in them. Correct. But they're still, you've been in the game long enough now that you can see certain red flags and you know, okay, this person ain't going to work out. But yeah. like this, I see that they're trying, they're being honest. Like they're, I always say, uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Like I will gladly take a bulldog, somebody who doesn't have the talent, but they're willing to outwork everybody else versus somebody who has all the talent in the world. And I'm always on their butt about getting this or that done. Like I'd much rather have a hard work. So it's grit, right? Yeah. Angela Duckworth wrote that book and it's a really good book about perseverance, like someone that perseveres over someone that's just gifted. Mm -hmm. So I 100% agree with you. And I think that people really show themselves early on. You just have to believe it. Yep. When that, my favorite quote from a Medea movie, Tyler Perry movie. Medea. Yes. I when, used her meme today. When people show you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. It's so true in personal mm-hmm. relationships and business with employees, whatever. People will show you who they are. But oftentimes we choose not to believe what they're showing us. No. If they've shown you they're this type of person. I always tell, like the other day I was talking to somebody and they were like, they mentioned and they were like, oh, your friend, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what'd you say? They're like, oh, your friend, that guy that does that. I was like, that's not my friend. I know the guy. Like I maybe have 10 friends in my life. Mm-hmm. My, t- my two rules are if I can't trust you with my money or I can't trust you with my wife, I can't be friends with you. It's a good rule. If you're a guy and I, I can't trust that, like if my wife gets a flat tire on the road and I was out of town that you wouldn't be there to help her, we can't be friends. If I need to invest money or we go into a business together or something and I don't think that you're going to be a good steward of my money, we can't be friends. Like that's the level I need people to rock with me on now. That's a good level to have. It's boundaries. Yeah. If you don't have that, we don't have friendship. Um, let me ask you this about realtors because 60% of the the business we do here is with uh, real estate brokerages, people in that industry. Why do you think so many realtors don't see themselves as entrepreneurs? Because I see a distinction between some of the people I work with where they clearly understand that they're their own brand, that they're a business. A lot of realtors I talk to, they're dealing with their transaction and it's going through their personal checking account. They don't have a business account set up. Like, so when they close on a house, they're like, oh, I got 10 G's. This is fun money. I can do whatever I want instead of thinking like, no, I need to have a marketing budget. No, I need to have money for this. I'm planning on growing a team. So I need to have the reserve funds here. Why do you think so many realtors don't see themselves as an entrepreneur and kind of fall more into the employee line? I think because the bar to entry of real estate is so low Mm -hmm. and it's done on purpose. Right. Because they want their association money. They want their dues. There's a lot of money to be made in that. And when you think of a business, that's the bar is so low. And I'm not saying that they're low people. I'm just saying the bar entry of a business. Think about most businesses. You have to get degrees. You have to do all these things. There's schooling. There's training. There's certifications. This is one of those businesses. You just pass a test like we just talked about and Mm -hmm. you get licensed. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a pain in the butt. Thank God there's that at least. Yeah. You pay some dues. And but if you're willing to study a little bit and take yeah. a test, that you can become a realtor. So it has gotten this. Also, um, hold up. 
what, what's the distinction between a real estate agent and a realtor? So when you pass the license, you become a real estate agent. Okay. When you affiliate with the board, you are a realtor. A okay. realtor, realtor is a trademarked name. That's why you see the little registered yep. or it's in all caps. Mm-hmm. So it's a national association of realtors, which also then you're a member of your state association. So here would be Virginia Association of Realtors, VAR, and then RIR, which is Rich, Richmond Association of Realtors. When you pay yep. your dues, you get membership at all three, which then gives you membership to the MLS, the multiple listing service. But a realtor is held to a higher standard than Correct. a real estate agent is. Correct. Because you basically said you're going to, you're on the board and you're doing all these things. Gotcha. But a real estate agent can, so some commercial agents are not on the board. Gotcha. Like they're not part of the, the National Real Estate Association. You don't have to do that to be, to be a licensed agent. Gotcha. So there are agents that will part their license and referral status and get referrals or agents that are licensed that are licensed assistants and may not be necessarily a part of the board. Yep. Um, property managers, all that kind of stuff because they don't need yeah. they don't need they're not selling and buying actively and representing people. So that's typically what that is. Gotcha. Just so you know. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, there's ethics and all that committees and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's you know there's a big lobby group around it as well to you know support realtors as a um, business. Mm-hmm. But um, to answer your question, I think the majority of people are it's a lot of people become realtors like the it's like a side hustle or it's yeah. like a side gig. So they don't really take it as like that they're doing a business. So they don't even come into it as a business like, oh, I just want to make a cup like I'm just going to do some investing. I want to do so they kind of come in by accident. Yeah. So they don't come in thinking that this is their full time gig. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing I see. The second thing I see is that they're not good at it just because you take a test and pass the test doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. Uh, I think the failure rate is ridiculous. It's like one. I think if you I think it's within five years most realtors, 75% of realtors that get their license within five years will give up their license. Mm. So the failure rate is probably one of the highest in any industry. Jeez. Because, and then the average realtor makes, I think, less than 30000 a year mm. gross. So that's before taxes. That's what, like selling two homes a year or yeah. something like that? Mm-hmm. So the average, I think, home sales are like five homes a year. That's average on everybody. Yeah. So if you look at the if you look at the numbers, I think it's like an 80-20 rule with everything. 20% of agents, and I would say with real estate agents, it's probably 10% of the agents do all the business. Yeah. Makes sense. And so that's the biggest thing. That's why it's really encouraging as a real estate coach too. We always encourage brand new agents to sign up under teams now, especially in the model that we're in today, mm-hmm. because there's no one that's going to show you how to do this. When I came into the business, no one showed me how to do anything. Yep. They really didn't. I mean, I figured it out on my own and I went into coaching early on and I was like, I need to run this as a business. I need to structure this as a business. I need to set my schedule up like I'm a business. The problem is that people think when you're going into business for yourself, like, oh, it's so cool. I can like, I don't have to get up till noon and I can work and do what I want. I can party, nope. can travel. You substituted one boss for hundreds of bosses. Yep. <laughs> so I think that, it, again, it's not necessarily the right person that should become an agent becomes an agent. So that's gotcha. where you see the big divide. Gotcha. All right. So for me, this is this is one thing that, so I spoke to a group of kids. It was this uh, great nonprofit, Podium RVA here locally. And we just had a panel discussion, entrepreneurs and people that were successful in their careers. And before I got out of there, I told the kids, there are three things you need to know. And these, all these kids were probably between 15, and 18, three things you need to know. I don't care if you want to be an entrepreneur or an employee. There are three things that if you do these things, you'll financially set yourself up right for the rest of your life. Number one, get your credit score right. Like 
there's you're going to be so limited on what you can do in life if you have a horrible credit score. Number two, you need to buy real estate as soon as possible. Like the biggest regret I have in life is having a, living in an apartment or a house that we rented and had a bunch of guys living there and we're all just throwing money out the door versus if my credit was right and I just bought a home, then I could be renting to all my friends. I'd be living rent free and making some money and I have that investment to make. And then three, I told them they need to get a whole life insurance policy as soon as possible. If you do those three things, you're set up so good financially. But for me, real estate is one of the best investments you can possibly make. Like you were the the realtor that was on our transaction, our latest home that me and my wife built. We built it for $280,000 brand new. And I got an assessment from you the other day that's valued at $390,000. I've, I've upped my net worth almost $100,000 in less than three years. Like what other environment could you do that in? So why is it important not only just for entrepreneurs, but why should the average person be looking at real estate as something to add to their portfolio? Um, I think you should watch what everyone else is doing. If you look at big, big companies, mm-hmm. their holdings, if you look at large companies, their holdings are real estate. A yep. majority of their holdings are in real estate. Starbucks is a real estate company. McDonald's is McDonald's a real estate company. Um, land is something that's tangible. Mm-hmm. And you can't, and you can't make, make well, any more land. <laughs> and when other countries are coming and buying out our country, you should wonder like, hmm, maybe that's maybe like, you know, it's like follow, watch what's going on and follow the trend is what I tell people. Yep. But if you can leverage. So like I did a whole video about why real estate's so good. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's something you can leverage. Right. You can actually leverage the, the real estate. Like if you wanted to, you could rent your house out and make money yep. off of it and you know, or you can rent it out when you are away on the weekends for Airbnb. You can do mm-hmm. all different models to make money off of your home. So it's leverage, right? Yeah. Or you can take an equity line out of it. Yeah. And so t- you can get a HELOC, your, you can pull money yeah, out of it. Send your kids to school, but you still have a place to live. So it becomes something that is a tool, mm-hmm. not just a home or land. Um, and that's a really, really huge piece. It's something that appreciates over time. So it over time, and I know people saw the crash and like, oh, things are going to be cut in half. And like, that's not the case. If you look at over time, over year, over year, over year, over 20 years, if it, you have to determine you have a long hold, a short term hold. Yep. Are you flipping? What are you going to do with this piece of real estate? There's all different ways you can hold real estate. You can go into it with multiple people. You can leave it behind. You, this legacy. There's so many things you can do with real estate that you can't do with other types of investment. Um, And I think it's just part of a portfolio. I don't think it's your end all be all as well. And there is work and there is risk like everything else. But I think over time, it it makes sense and it's easier for someone to understand, right? You're actually physically getting something and not this like illusion of a stock that you don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's not an NFT. It's not some virtual thing. You can actually physically touch this. I heard something the other day on, I think it was on Instagram. I saw a reel pop up. And this guy was talking, I never heard him before, but what he was saying made a lot of sense. He was like, now is the time to get into the real estate game because in 10 to 20 years, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to get your hands on property and own a home than it is currently. How do you feel about that? I would say that's accurate. I think the NRR, the NAR, the National Association of Realtor Economists, chief economist was before Congress recently mm-hmm. and that actually was filmed. And he was asking Congress to fund um, – like give grants basically to builders yep. to encourage building because he showed that the way that the population is growing and the and the number of homes that we have and inventory wise that the resale homes cannot keep up so yeah. the only way to keep up would be to build new homes mm-hmm. and basically a plea 
to give grants to encourage builders to build a new home and, and you know and not have to necessarily price gouge buyers from paying for the new home because that's yeah. the issue right eventually is the cost right so if we have an inventory issue and you have the two largest populations making moves the millennials and the boomers right mm-hmm. larger than ever could imagine and the millennial population is bigger than boomers and i remember everyone talking about oh my god the boomers is the largest population ever well yeah. here we go you know this is even bigger making their big life moves right now and it's just not enough so it's 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 a supply and demand issue so how how can you deal with supply and demand you make the money more money it's more money yeah so if you only have it's like the bachelor right if you've one man and 25 girls or however many girls are on the that one man becomes like the prince charming of everything even though he could be the biggest loser he's the most valuable he's the only one you know so it's like it just it just that's what it turns into so then all of a sudden these homes like honestly i probably wouldn't make a move because for me to sell my home i would have to buy another home at more money so that's kind of where i'm at where i'm with my children at this stage that we're at in life but if it made sense because I needed to downsize or I needed, you know, we needed to be in a different area, then I would make the move. So I yeah. think that's the only thing you have to think about, too. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, things are going to crash. Well, the last time I checked, housing is kind of a core need. Yeah. So people move whether the economy is doing well or not. People so, are always going to have to eat and they're going to have to have a place to live. Mm-hmm. Like those two things are never going to change. Yep. Um, let's get into some rapid fire questions as we wrap up here. Um, so I'm just going to throw these out to you. Okay. Real quick ones. And you give us your answer. All right. Rapid fire. All right. Wings or tacos? Mm, tacos. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. Uh, lift weights or cardio? Cardio. All right. A night out or Netflix at home? Netflix at home. All right. And then the last thing I have for you, what's the greatest advice you've received as an entrepreneur? As an entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Givers gain. Mm. Say that again for the people in the back. Give more than you could ever ask for and you will get back 50 50 fold. Love it. Love it. Well, Alicia, tell everybody where they can follow you, where they can get more, more information and uh, keep track of your brand. So at alicia.rba is my Instagram and at the collaborative.re is our collaborative Instagram and TikTok. I do like TikTok still at Alicia RBA without the dot is a TikTok and you can always follow me and S-O-E-K-A-W-A last name Alicia Soikawa. Good I'm stuff. on all the channels. Good stuff. Well, guys, this is Sam Anderson. Uh, thanks for listening to the You Can Afford Me podcast. <laughs>